Hey everybody, welcome to the very first episode of Killstreak. I'm your host, Mike Price, and with me, as always, for the very first time, Eric Gosselin. Hey guys, how are you? Mike, how are you tonight? I'm doing pretty good, you know, quarantine considered. Haven't uh, seen anybody but my girlfriend in a month. Uh, But you know what, I'm feeling good. I've been watching some great horror movies. Have you seen anybody on the street lately? Because I haven't really been out of my yard for the past, I guess, three weeks now. And I saw somebody walk by my house, and I got really fucking scared. <laughs> uh, I was like, what are you doing? What are you doing, buddy? Yeah, I have that. Do you have the thing where you watch, like, reality shows or commercials, and when people hug each other, you're like, no. Yeah. Um, so a little bit about ourselves. Uh, I am a TV story producer. I'm also a um, – I've made some micro-budget feature films uh, in the horror comedy genre. Uh, but that t- to tie it back to that, when I'm watching footage and somebody coughs in the footage, uh-huh. I, I f- fucking flinch <laughs> <You're> <laughs> like, in your house. Just like you want to. Yeah, exactly. With, yeah. Yeah. Because I've been working from home. Luckily, I've been lucky enough to work from home. Well, I can't say the same. Um for a little background on me, I uh, went to school for film. I've done some acting. I actually was heavily featured in one of Eric's uh, movies. Uh, it's called Yeti, A Love Story, Life on the Streets. It's a sequel to an amazing trauma film that's terrible called Yeti, A Love Story. Uh, yeah, I hate to correct you uh, so early out of the gate, but okay. it's called Another Yeti, A Love oh, Story. Fuck. Life on the Streets, so that way it popped up early in uh the on-demand searches oh gotcha i was drunk during most of the production of that movie so (laughs) you were so hungover during i think maybe the final scene i think it was our last day of shooting it was the sex scene yeah it took so much longer than it should have you were sweating booze (laughs) in your fucking yeti suit it was awful (laughs) everybody was really upset (laughs) including you it's not just you know it's not your fault. It was your going away party or something. Yeah, I was moving out of to. the state. Um, but anyways, we got through it and we made a movie. Um, yeah, we did. Yeah. So in case you guys are wondering why Eric and I are qualified to host a podcast about horror movies, I mean, technically we're not. But uh, we both have a background in film. Uh, we've made some movies. We've been in some movies. I'm a commercial and sort of uh, digital media director. Eric works in TV, but more than anything else, we are just big time horror fans. Yeah, we always has been. We always has been. <laughs> yeah, you're we a fucking has been. been. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the uh, we we recorded a uh, a failed pilot for. Well, it wasn't really a pilot. We uh-huh. recorded a a podcast that never came out uh, that Mike wanted to do. In in it, I talked about how much I loved horror movies and bad movies. Yeah, and uh, we really we really bonded. Yeah, it, this is this is the phoenix that rose from the ashes of a podcast that was st- stillborn <laughs> to begin with. So it's, <laughs> this is our stillborn phoenix of a podcast, and it's called Killstreak. <laughs> and what do we do on Killstreak, Eric? On this podcast, we will watch entire series of horror films, and then 
in the final episode of that series, we will rank them in our canonical order. Yeah, and you guys, so once we've ranked uh, all the movies in a series, that is, as as Eric mentioned, it's canon. And that means that no one on the internet or in uh, real life can any longer debate which of the movies is the best. Uh, once Eric and I set the order, that's it. That's uh, it. Reddit, sh- Reddit shuts up, and it's just from then on out, if we say uh, Friday the 13th Part 5 is the best one in the series, that's it. It's over. Yeah, that might actually be true. I don't know. Hmm, I have to think about it. Yeah. We'll get there. Yeah, so, I mean, most people know if you're a fan of horror movies, uh, I don't know if there's another genre of film where uh, producers and filmmakers are as quick to pull the trigger on sequels because horror movies are cheap to make a lot of the time. Yeah. And uh, horror movie fans are super dedicated. They always come back. Uh, so for that reason, we as horror fans are gifted with many, many, many sequels and trilogies and, and series that go way beyond that. And so we're going to be exploring those over the course of this podcast. Yeah, what an interesting point. I never really thought of that before, uh, that like there's no other genre of movie where producers just fucking go nuts with the rights and just like yeah. make a billion sequels to, to a thing. <laughs> yeah, they should do it more with like uh, period dramas. <laughs> Pride and Prejudice 2, Rave yeah. to the Grave. <laughs> yeah, there's nine English patient movies. Just... But anyways, uh, so there are a lot of very famous series that have a ton of movies in them. I mean, we mentioned Friday the 13th. You know, you got your Nightmare on Elm Streets, your Halloweens. Um, but we're, we, we plan on doing this for a long time, and we wanted to start with something a little bit off the beaten path, but that's also... We knew we would be starting with a movie that we both enjoyed, that would be near and dear to our hearts. And what did we land on? We landed on the Return of the Living Dead series. That's right. Uh, and how many movies do we have in this series, Eric? We have five movies. They are Return of the Living Dead, Return of the Living Dead Part 2, Return of the Living Dead Part 3, Return of the Living Dead Necropolis, and Return of the Living Dead Rave to the Grave. I want to give you all the heads up on where you can watch these movies. Uh, the first movie can be found on Tubi, which is a great uh, website and app. You can get on your Apple TV. I assume other places. I have an Apple TV. But uh, my own movie, Another Yeti A Love Story, is streaming there for free, along with Return of the Living Dead. Uh, part 2, you can watch if you have a subscription to Stars. Uh, part 3 is on Tubi. Part 4 is on Tubi. Uh, and then Rave to the Grave, for some reason, is not and is only available through traditional rentals like iTunes and Amazon, YouTube, wherever you get your movies. Yeah. Um, so just a, a little background on these movies for anybody who's not familiar. First of all, there's going to be a lot of spoilers in here. So my recommendation is watch the movies first, then listen along with us. For sure. Uh, yeah, if you've seen them before, feel free to jump in without a rewatch. I think we'll go over the plot points and stuff. But uh, I will say that if you've never seen any of these movies, uh, maybe you get a weird perverse thrill out of listening to two guys talk about <laughs> five movies you've never seen uh, for hours on end. But uh, probably not. So, But for those of you who are familiar with the series or just need a little refresher, so Return of the Living Dead starts with the first film, comes out in 1985. Um, It's directed by Dan O'Bannon, who's probably most famous as the writer 
and one of the uh, creative forces behind Alien, directed by Ridley Scott. Um, Eric, were you familiar with Dan O'Bannon before you had seen this film? Uh, not by name, but definitely by his films, um, especially Alien, I guess. I had never seen Dark Star, the movie he, he did with John Carpenter. Uh, John yeah. Carpenter's first movie, I believe. Yeah, both of them. They actually went to USC film school together. And Dark Star started out as a student picture. Um, and then they eventually sort of expanded it out into a feature-length film uh, that got distribution because they felt like they had something. Yeah, so um, I actually and I've never seen his... I never saw his follow-up movie to Return of the Living Dead because he only made two movies as, as a director. Yeah, he's only got two movies... Uh, to his credit, one is this, Return of the Living Dead. This was his first ever directing role uh, on a feature film. And then he did 1991's The Resurrected, which also I have not seen. I know it's uh, an adaptation of Lovecraft, which is something that piques my interest, certainly. Yeah, for sure. I'm surprised I haven't because I do love Lovecraft, no pun intended, uh, uh, <laughs> adaptations. <laughs> Yeah, and not to fully spoil our breakdown uh, and ratings of these films, but I will say that after watching this again recently, I definitely want to go check The Resurrected out. Me too, because he really nailed it this first time out. Yeah, Uh, we'll get there. But right now, let's talk about how Return of the Living Dead gets off the ground. Um, And so to know the full background of this movie, you have to go back to the birth of the sort of – the zombie as we know it now, uh, which is uh, George Romero's Night of the Living Dead, uh, uh, which, yes. yeah, I have to assume if you're listening to this podcast, you have at least a passing familiarity with. Um, and I know, Eric, for you, the Night of the Living Dead series is uh, extremely meaningful. Uh, I would say, I dare say, my favorite film series of all time, minus the ones that came in, you know, in the 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the first three, Night of Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, and Day of the Dead, uh, I think that's like, that's the top of the mountain for zombie movies, and I, absolutely, I would put that in the pantheon of great horror series ever made. Um, but yeah, so way back in the 60s, late 60s, when uh, Night of Living Dead was made, uh, everybody knows George Romero as the director, but he was actually part of a sort of artist group slash almost advertising uh, company. The Latent Image Group. Yes. The Latent Image Group out of Pittsburgh uh, had George Romero, a number of other people, one of which was John Russo, uh, who actually has a co-writing credit on Night of the Living Dead. Uh, he, He never went on to work with Romero on any of the other Dead movies, but because both of them wrote that script, they reached an agreement about rights uh, to uh, making sequels to Night of the Living Dead. And one of the things that got worked out in that deal is that Russo retained the right to title things with Of the Living Dead, which is part of the reason why, as Romero goes on, you don't hear Living Dead anymore. It's just Of the Dead, right? So it's Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, Land of the Dead. Or my favorite, Diary of the Dead. (laughs) <laughs> yes, as you mentioned, the 2000s. You should really start at the end of that series. Yeah, backwards. really, if you guys want to get the most bang from your of the dead buck, start with the found footage movie, Diary of the Dead. Yeah, nothing nothing better. Russo retains the rights to 
title things of the living dead in the 70s he writes a book that's a direct sequel to night of the living dead called return of the living dead uh this book it follows the events of the first film it's very dark it's similar in tone to romero's movie um and it got optioned to be made into uh, a feature film by a guy named tom fox and this was in the late 70s um they kind of bounced around for a while uh, with a script that was a pretty uh, direct adaptation of Russo's book. And eventually Fox gets uh, Toby Hooper attached to direct the movie. Um, and Eric, tell us a little bit about Toby Hooper. That's a name that should be familiar to oh, of course. horror fans. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. And in name, at least, he's the director of Poltergeist, although we all know that might not be the yeah. case. Yeah, um, more than likely a Steven Spielberg movie. No one has ever really confirmed or fully denied that story. It's yeah. one of those things where I think a lot of people feel like it's a Spielberg movie, but it's one. Of, it's still one of the great Hollywood mysteries because both Hooper, who's now passed away, and Spielberg, who's still kicking around, pretty much just refuse to give to spill the dirt on what was going on there. Yeah. Do you have any opinions on non Texas Chainsaw Massacre Hooper movies? Because I don't think he's – I never saw Life Force, so I can't speak to that. But I've seen, like, Motel Hell, I believe, is, is yeah. his. Not good. I think – I have seen Life Force. Uh, I've seen Motel Hell. Um, Life Force. You know, hey, listen, we're going to talk about some great nude scenes. Life Force. <laughs> I've seen clips. I've seen uh-huh. clips. Yeah. Um, I have – um, I've seen The Mangler. Um, oh, the, the, is that the Stephen King adaptation? Yeah, I think yeah. it's from Night Shift. Yeah, and then, yeah. Yeah, Robert England's. That. It's not very good. Um, I'm trying to think. He did a sequence in Body Bags. Which mm. one did he do? I never saw uh, that. Yeah, Body Bags is interesting. It's it, Carpenter directs one. Hooper directs Hooper. Uh, directs one and then a guy named larry sulkis who i don't know who the fuck that is that one's interesting it's a it's a little um you know just a quick uh three sort of three-part anthology Hmm. but yeah to answer your original question toby hooper sadly i think is a guy who just never really capitalized on what he had with texas chainsaw massacre and like i want to be clear that's one of the greatest horror movies of all time without Um, a doubt yeah the original, it's just, it's it's so great. I think it's fucking fantastic. Yeah, Un- unimpeachable. It's one of my also one of my favorite movies of all time. It's gonna sound like we say that about a lot of stuff, but we just happen to be talking about some real heavy hitters <laughs> yeah. right off the bat here. But yeah, I would say that after that, I mean, Poltergeist is great, but for me, like the 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 who directed it debate. Uh, the answer mm-hmm. is just like the proof is in the pudding. You watch that movie. It's a fucking Steven Spielberg It's a Spielberg movie. movie. Yeah. And it's really good. I think it's great. But it also like if it is Toby Hooper, it's Steven Spielberg working through Toby Hooper. Absolutely. Um, he was originally attached to direct this movie. Um, and he actually left the production uh, pre-production to go make Life Force. And the writer of Life Force is none other than. Dan O'Bannon. Oh, shit. Yeah, so the two of them were working together on Life Force, and uh, Toby Hooper, I guess, actually recommended O'Bannon as a potential replacement for him to producer Tom Fox. So they gave the script to O'Bannon and said, hey, do you want to do this? And 
his response because uh, he's a writer first and foremost uh basically what he said to tom fox was i'm down to do this if you let me rewrite this script and one of the things he was very uh specific about wanting to do was take uh, the dark direction uh, of Russo's book and of the script as it stood and take it in a more sort of comedic direction because he felt like it was too close to Romero's dead movies and sort of out of professional respect. He didn't want to go in the same direction with it. He wanted to do something different. Yeah. And I just read in a uh, Fangoria interview that, um, at the time, Dawn of the Dead was – I'm sorry, Day of the Dead was already being uh, made. Yeah. So there are certain things that he just did not do in this movie. Like uh, one of the one of the examples was he didn't show close-ups of wounds. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. He's I like, mean oh, that is a very – yeah, it's a very Tom Savini thing. Who's right. also a huge creative force in Dawn and Day of the Dead. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't know that. That's a very cool piece of trivia. And I think Day of the Dead especially, like, the images that come to my mind when I think about that movie are just, like, flesh being ripped from, like, arms oh, yeah. and stuff. And it's just, oh, it's gr- it's gruesome. Absolutely. Um, and, yeah, this movie takes a slightly different approach, which uh, we're about to get into. So, um, yeah, to get us to uh, to where we need to be. So O'Bannon rewrites the script. Uh, you know, they put a cast together, director, uh, sorry, producer Graham Henderson come up later on in conversation, but basically Fox is not a movie guy. Tom Fox was a, an investment banker from Chicago who just bought the rights to return the living dead. Cause it seemed like a, a good investment, you know? And, uh, I think, uh, the beauty of how this movie came together was as a non-creative guy, uh, he had, the wherewithal to sort of say, I don't know that much about movies, so I'm going to let these guys do what they deem best. And specifically, he let Dan O'Bannon take a ton of creative control over this movie, sort of borderline. It's a borderline auteur work. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, written and directed, and he's just the whole force behind it. And you really can tell, because this movie has a very cohesive tone, um, it's so energetic. It's so nihilistic at the same time. Mm-hmm. It has like a real punk rock aesthetic to it. Yeah, and Not, a, like a serious point of view. Yes, absolutely. Uh, which you know we'll get into in future episodes. Uh, maybe not all of them have the same cohesive yeah. point of view. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I think without further ado, let's jump into Return of the Living Dead. Okay, guys, hang tight. Because we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to recap this movie. Okay, we have an opening title card. The events portrayed in this film are all true. The names are real names of real people in real organizations. Already, right, first frame, it's great. Yeah. On board. Yep. We're at, you need a medical supply. We meet our three main characters, Bert, Frank, and the new guy, Freddy. They're wrapping up for the 4th of July weekend. Frank is showing Freddie the ropes, and uh, Freddie has a great look. I love the way Freddie looks. Uh, mm-hmm. He has like these high-waisted jeans, a sleeveless uh, shirt with suspenders. It's yeah. an insane thing to wear on your first day of work. Yeah, so right off the bat, they set up a really fun dynamic with specifically Freddie and Frank. Freddie the new guy, Frank the old, the old guy. Uh, 
And the two of these dudes kind of, they turn the first 15 minutes of this movie into just like a two-hander where it's just these two guys bouncing off of each other. You get all these these sort of like light Abbott and Costello, Laura yeah. Hardy vibes off of them. They really have real chemistry. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and something uh, that you were telling me was that might be because O'Bannon was given a lot of opportunity to have rehearsals. Yeah, shocking. In a movie with a really small budget, they actually did, if I'm not mistaken, about two weeks of of rehearsals with the cast, and they reworked the script a lot during that time, which just, like, it goes such a long way. Mm -hmm. If you've got got a writer who's responding in real time to cast reading his dialogue and going through scenes together to be able to kind of react to that stuff and and make changes as they they work, like, it, it shows in this movie. It's for... For a low-budget movie like this, it's really well-acted and well-scripted. Yeah, it, it, for and also for, like, a bunch of actors who are essentially doing camp. Yeah. There's no stinkers in the bunch. Like, they're they're all pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. All so, right, so where do we go next? Bert leaves. He sh- uh, Frank shows Freddy around. He shows off the skeletons, a split dog, and uh, a yellow fucking cadaver just, just the yellowest cadaver you've ever seen the yellowest cadaver you've ever seen hanging in the freezer yeah by the way cadaver hanging from hooks in its <laughs> yeah. ear from its head yeah just from yeah. like a meat hook but like it's yeah. clamping on both sides of its skull right. not the way yet i would personally store a cadaver yeah i think traditionally you just put them on their back on a table or in your in your floorboards chopped into yeah. pieces <laughs> I, hiding your I, greatest shame yeah, well, I mean, I I watch this scene and I just like I'm thinking to myself like, who do they send these cadavers to? And they're always like, this one's ears are <laughs> fucked up again. What is the deal? We cut to some punks on the street. I love '80s movies with punks in them. '80s yeah. movies had like punks on the subway fucking with old ladies. You know, <laughs> they try to fight the Terminator. It, like. Punks were the bane of everybody's existence, according to movies in the 80s. And I fucking am here for it. Yeah. Uh, they're looking for a party. We got Scuzz with his mohawk. And, you know, actually, funny thing about Scuzz, uh, uh-huh. you were texting me. You were very excited about Scuzz as a person, the actor who betrayed Scuzz. <laughs> you were really, really yeah. into some stuff that he did. You wouldn't oh, elaborate. <laughs> but you're like this guy seems like a real cool hang all right let's just get this shit out of the way right now because we're gonna be we're gonna be talking about this fucking guy for three movies because he is he is the uh the lynch or not the linchpin but he's like the one piece of continuity through the first three movies a guy named brian peck um plays scuzz uh, he shows up in Return of the Living Dead Part 2 playing a bunch of different zombies. In Part 3, he plays a military guy. He also features heavily in a book called The Complete History of the Return of the Living Dead, which is an oral history of this entire series that I read uh, in its entirety because I'm a psycho. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, shout out to uh, Christian Sellers and Gary Smart, authors of that book. Check it out. I got it as, an, as a Kindle book, um, and I definitely enjoyed it, learned a ton. One of the things that I did not learn from the book but I learned from the Internet is that Brian Peck, uh, in addition to being in all three of these movies, is also a convicted pedophile. Mm. Yeah, and perhaps not coincidentally, he is also a good friend of director Brian Singer. He likes to attend pool parties. Is yeah, what I like. We'll just, what I hear. 
Yeah, we'll leave it at that. But anyways, Jeez, Louise. So we've we've tackled that. We've we've addressed the <laughs> elephant in the room. Uh, pedophile Brian Peck. We are not supporters. Scuzz, uh, as we will we'll, now refer to him as. Yeah, he is now just Scuzz, and uh, I'm going to try my best not to keep coming back to this topic. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, I brought it up. Uh, so then we have Casey, the party girl, Chuck. He's just like some horny dork who wants to fuck Casey. Yeah, and he's a little too dressed up for these punks. He's got like a blazer and a tie. He looks like he's in the specials. Yeah, um, or or like uh, what he looks like uh, when Anthony Michael Hall gets dressed up at the end of Weird Science for the <laughs> house party. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Uh, Spider and Tina, who is Freddie's goody two shoes girlfriend, uh, they decide they have to pick up Freddie from work because Freddie always knows where there's a party. These these folks are desperate for a party. Freddie is their party hookup. Uh, so they're uh, what they, what do they got to do? They got to make their way to you need a medical supply. Meanwhile, Freddie and Frank, uh, Freddie asks Frank, "What's the weirdest thing you've ever sold here?" This is this is where. I love this scene. We're back in the office at Medical Supply, and this is all of this background of Night of the Living Dead and how it feeds into uh, the conception of this movie. I love how they tackle Me this. Me too. Uh, well, get this. You ever see the movie The Night of the Living Dead? That movie's based on a true case. Apparently, a chemical leaked into a morgue, made the dead bodies come to life, uh, but they heightened it for the movie. They made them take over the whole world. And get this. They accidentally ship the bodies here. They're in the goddamn basement. <laughs> I love it. It, it like it acknowledges uh, zombie movies, which is something right. no other zombie movie that I'm aware of. I guess maybe Shaun of the Dead. Right. Uh, they don't ever talk about zombies. Yeah, and that I mean, it is in it's it creates a kind of uh, a little bit of a paradox because every time a new zombie movie comes out, I guess we just. Uh, it exi- it seems to exist in some world where no one's ever heard the term before, and then they have to like explain it from its conception. And this is just it's great. It's like the most uh, sort of recognizable signpost of zombies, like immediately addressed, right? Yeah, right in the first ten minutes. Exactly. Uh, so down in the basement, Frank shows him the canisters. They look awesome. Like whoever did the design on those canisters, yeah. looks fucking great. You can see like a little wrinkled old body in there. Uh, Frank, uh, uh, Freddie asked Frank, these things don't leak, do they leak? They were designed by the U S army's Corps of engineers. He bangs on the side of it to prove a point. <laughs> and it immediately springs. A yeah. Leak. This metal weld bursts and just gas starts pouring out green <laughs> funky ass gas. And then we get a, a, this amazing shot, uh, of the body just decomposing like almost like a time lapse. Yeah, it looks, it looks so like uh, like Raiders of the Lost Ark, like the the arc melt face melting. It's yeah, a, the same similar technique. They I think they use wax and like heat guns and stuff, and it just it looks gross. It looks great. We'll talk about this a million times on this podcast, but just one of the first examples of many of just great inventive practical effects that work so much better than anything you can do with CG. So much better. Uh, credits, uh, the gas runs through the ventilation system into the freezer. The yellow, the yellowest cadaver you ever did see just starts moving. Uh, so the credits are rolling. Uh, tell us a little bit about the cast. Uh, who, who do they get to, to be in this? Sure. Um, so just a quick rundown of some of the more notable names. Uh, so the guys we've met already, uh, we've got, Bert, the owner of You Need a Medical Supply, 
played by uh, an actor named Clue Gulliger, who's actually best known for his appearances in like TV westerns, and he did some film stuff too. Right. Uh, this is a role that I originally tried to get Leslie Nielsen for, um, but I love what Clue Gulliger does, and they and it's a similar casting choice. Where it's somebody who just plays it straight the whole way through. Yeah. Um, and it's a we'll movie talk- full of guys you recognize. You know, yeah. You've seen them yeah. all from other places. And, and I think what they also did is in terms of the casting, they sort of split it down the middle where the older guys, they went for more recognizable faces with more experience. And then for the younger cast members, it's a lot of newer faces that haven't done so much. Um, one of the exceptions to that uh, amongst the, the younger cast uh, is Trash, uh, who, Trash, who is absolutely one of our favorite characters in this film. And for me as a Hall of Famer, just in horror, um, played by a horror Hall of Famer, Linnea Quigley, um, one of the great scream queens of the late 70s and 80s. She's great. She's great. Um, I love her. Yeah, she's done a ton of stuff. At this point, she's already um, done a, like a decent amount of horror. Uh, she did a Silent Night, Deadly Night movie. Uh, she did um, Sorority Girls and the Slime Ball Bolorama. Yeah, I can yeah, never, that, I, I never get it right the first time I say it. It, it comes later. Sorority Babes and the Slime Ball Bolorama. That's, that's, it. that's a, It's a couple years after this. And that's famously a movie that casts her with two other sort of big um, scream queens, uh, Brink Stevens and Michelle Bauer, Mm -hmm. uh, which is just like this amazing triumvirate of like the great sort of cheesecake. uh, Is is her name Brink or is it Brinky? I always said Brinky. It might be Brinky. It's one of those names that I've read many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, and never said out loud until right now. Yeah, <laughs> on she goes on. She goes on to uh, a decent role in Nightmare on Elm Street Four. Um, she's in Night of the Demons, Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers. Um, just a couple other people I want to call out. So Frank, uh, the elder statesman at You Need a Medical Supply, is played by James Karen, who uh, is a carryover from a uh, previous Toby Hooper movie, Poltergeist. Mm-hmm. He actually plays Craig T. Nelson's boss, who is the the sleazy building, uh, sort of uh, housing developer who moved the headstones of the old uh, cemetery but didn't move the bodies. You didn't. Uh, you didn't move the bodies. <laughs> you just moved the headstones. Yeah, Craig T. Nelson has his fantastic freak out. Yeah, so James Karen is his boss, and... Uh, yeah, Karen, this is uh, those two movies are sort of his first toe dip into horror, but he goes on to do a lot of stuff after this. Um, and then the last one I wanted to call out, which is kind of interesting, Spider, um, <laughs> who was uh, the, the, the black guy in this group, looked so familiar to me when I started watching this again. And I couldn't figure out who the fuck he was, how I knew him. Uh, I looked him up. His name is Miguel Nunez Jr. He's done a ton of stuff. He's got hundreds of credits on IMDb. So he's been a working actor since the early 80s through today. But I finally figured out what I recognized him from, which is his one big starring role in a feature film is he is the lead in the cross-dressing basketball comedy Juana Man. Jesus Christ, really? Yeah. Juana Man. He is Juana Man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I've never Which seen I, Juana Man, but I I, never, I, I know yeah, no. of it. 
<laughs> I've never seen it either, and I just assume that it's essentially a rehash of the plot of Ladybugs. <laughs> <laughs> With uh, Miguel Nunez Jr. in the Jonathan Brandis role. Rest in peace, Brandis. Yeah, rest in peace. We always pour uh, one out for Brandis every day. Yeah. Uh, right. So then we meet this uh, army colonel in his palatial estate. Huge. Uh, he has a real battle axe of a wife <laughs> who's made him lamb chops, which he reg- he rejects his her lamb chops yeah. because he had them for lunch. He's well, very relatable. He's, <laughs> we all have lamb chops for lunch most days. Uh, he goes to this weird ass communication setup in his in his uh, in his study. He radios into probably the army. Tells him he's gonna be home all night just in case anything happens. Yeah, a lot of mystery yeah, here. I yeah, I just wrote mysterious. Yeah, very much. And and I just want to shout out to the amazing console of 80s tech. Oh, my uh, God. I could watch a supercut of, like, 80s computers, like, in uh, sci-fi movies for hours. Yes. They're so good. Uh, yeah, put it fucking straight into my veins. And also, like, uh, speaking of O'Bannon, in, uh-huh. in uh, Alien, great Oh, God, yes. Oh, my God. Every- Everything on the Nostromo on that spaceship is fucking, ugh. So good. Yeah. Again, practical. Give me that practical stuff all day long. Back in Louisville, Kentucky, which is where this movie apparently <laughs> takes place, we yeah, got They let sui- us know in the last 10 minutes of the <laughs> yeah. movie. We got Suicide. I love the character of Suicide. This he, guy rules. He has a paperclip chain from his ear to his lip, a weird-ass haircut. Uh, they have some time to kill before Freddy's off work, so Scuzz suggests that they go to the cemetery next door because he's never been to a cemetery before. <laughs> weird, yeah, weird choice. Okay. Well, he he says he's never he's never known anybody that died. <laughs> so what we've learned there is Scuzz has lived a very privileged life. Yeah, yeah, but he also has a huge mohawk. <laughs> Freddy and Frank wake up. The body is gone. Must have vanished into thin air. They go upstairs and they hear a whimpering sound. What's that? It's the fucking split dog. It's alive. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. fucking dog is like trying to run. It's yeah. It's just... half a dog, like mouth moving. Like it's gross. It's a great special effect. Um, and yeah, he Frank has a very very strong reaction. Yeah, he hits it with a crutch. It yelps. <laughs> it's in pain. Really it... goes nuts. Like. <laughs> Just beats the shit out of this thing. <laughs> There's some pinned butterflies on the wall that are moving. Like, this movie has a really great attention to detail. Yeah. Uh, but that's not all that's moving. The cadaver in the freezer is just going bananas. Yeah, and he's, it's sort of, what, screaming out, right? And yeah. Kind of, yeah, it's kind of haunting, but also, like, uh, over the top at the same time. Which is, I think, a, a sort of motif that this movie maintains Absolutely. for a long for for most of its runtime. Back at the cemetery, oh my god, this is the best scene. Is this the best scene in the movie? I think so. It's it's leading up to the best scene in the movie. Uh, okay. Trash. She's hanging out with Spider. They're leaning against a, a a a gravestone, and she asks, "You ever fantasize about being killed, Spider?" No. I try not to think about dying too much. You know what? It's a, it's a line that's so good, we're just going to let it play. Do you ever fantasize about being killed? Never. Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying? You know, violently? 
I wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die? Try not to think about dying too much. Mm. Well, for me, the worst way would be for a bunch of old men to get around me and start fighting and eating me alive. Uh, so then Trash, she starts to strip, man. And somebody, I'm not sure who, I, I should go back and listen to, says, get some light over here. Trash is taking her clothes off again. <laughs> Which is so fucking perfect. Tells such a story just in one it does. dialogue. <laughs> it does. Like, we've all known her trash. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, if you're privileged enough to know a trash, then, yeah, man. Yeah. Great. Yeah, trash is every, I hope all of you <laughs> get to know at least one trash. Before we get into Trash's shining moment, I do I want to go back to a few minutes earlier. Another wonderful Trash moment that I skipped over. When they first arrive at the cemetery, <laughs> she gets out of Suicide's car by climbing over the windshield <laughs> and then like scooting down on her butt, either like a child or like a dog who's like wipe who's like dragging its ass on the carpet. <laughs> And I was like, I've never gotten out of a car like that, but that's bucket list. Yeah. It's like that movie, The Counselor. You ever see that with Cameron Diaz? Is that, does that have the She like humps it? it. Oh no, she humps a uh, windshield. Well, Michael Fassbender or so, or no, uh, Javier Bardem watches as her, <laughs> and he describes it looking like a sucker fish. Oh, oh <laughs> That's a fucking terrible movie written by one of the greatest authors of all time. Oh, Jesus. And directed by Ridley Scott, who made Alien, which was written by Dan Dan O'Bannon. So she dances on the grave. This is just a classic nude scene in any horror movie. Probably one of the best. Yeah, and honestly, like, for me... uh, you know the politics of this stuff is it gets muddy um but like i am admittedly one of those people who just like i like a good nude scene in a horror movie me too i like a good nude scene in a movie you don't get them a lot nowadays and as just like a a married committed man anytime you see random nudity in a movie i'm like fuck yeah that's good yeah (laughs) you know that's the good stuff like yeah it's honestly it's kind of it's fun it's just like fun to see some good some good TNA. Yeah. And like this is a movie that for me, like this is exactly how I want it. I want it completely gratuitous. Like it's I yeah. like fuck a sex scene. Just celebrated. Yeah. Give me uh, a crazy punk dancing on top of a tomb in the middle of a cemetery. <laughs> yeah. Completely naked. Like this is how I want my nude scenes. And it was a difficult scene to shoot apparently right uh there were <laughs> i don't know if it was a difficult scene to shoot um but there is a and i hope this isn't apocryphal i hope that this is a true story so i'm recounting what i read in the book and what i've been able to gather from other sources but so apparently they're shooting this nude scene and linnea quigley is doing her her uh, atop the tomb for lack of a better word striptease Graham Henderson, uh, the producer, is on the set, and after they cut, he tells Dan O'Bannon, we can't see her pubic hair. That's too – this is too much. It's going to be an issue with sensors. It's just we're not trying to get this past the studio. Like, you got to fix it. 
So, so Dan O'Bannon and Linnea Quigley uh, take five. She shaves off all of her pubic hair. <laughs> they come back. They shoot again. Graham Henderson says, wait a second. No, absolutely not. Like, now you could just see everything. <laughs> like, like, you've gone from pubic hair to now you can just see her we vagina. See, we see folds. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. So they make the special effects guy who at this point is pretty beleaguered. He's not having a good time. He ends up getting fired from the production not long after this. We'll get into that a little bit later. But he, one of his last contributions to this film is he had to make uh, a pubic, uh, what would we call it? It's almost like uh, an anti-American yeah, yeah. So he makes uh, this this little attachment for her to put over her vagina, so it looks like she's a Barbie doll. Uh, so yeah. it just it, it's just smooth. It's completely smooth. And if you go back and you watch the movie with that in mind, it's actually really apparent, right? Uh, and because, it's super fucking weird. But as a kid, I watched this movie when I was probably like twelve or thirteen, mm-hmm. and I I saw the scene, which is probably why it left such a big impression on me. Uh, and I saw the scene. I was like, "Yeah, that's that's what a a human vagina looks like." <laughs> smooth, smooth. Dude. Yeah, that's right. Smooth and then we've been sailing. We've been disappointed ever since. <laughs> so back at the Unita Medical Supply, Bert's back. He's not happy. They got to take care of that dead body in the freezer. So he hands Frank a pickaxe. The yellow d- cadaver comes flying out, and they pickaxe it. Through the fucking head. Yeah. That should be the end of the ground. Yeah. Right? Fully through the skull, pinned to the concrete floor. From what we know about zombie movies, that should have killed it. We destroyed the brain. Destroy the brain, shoot in the head. This is classic this is classic mythology. Nope. This is where it really diverges from Romero movies. It does nothing. The the body just starts screaming. Yeah. So then they use a hacksaw to cut its head off. It's still screaming the whole time. Yeah, and Bert Bert is very proactive. I want to give him a shout out. Yeah, Frank and Freddie just like run around like fucking. They're, they're weak. They're, they're a couple so, weaklings. Frank in particular is so just like hysterically panicked. It just like he is losing his shit for being like the experienced guy. Yeah, but yeah. Bert just grabs a fucking hacksaw, starts sawing this thing's head off. Some it, great sound work here. Oh, it starts. It goes from screaming to like a gurgly scream when he gets into the neck. It's gruesome yeah. and it's great. Then the body just starts freaking out, and running around. Yeah. Uh, so they they decide we have to destroy it until there's nothing left. Yeah, headless body just fucking bouncing around the room. Yeah. Luckily, there's a mortuary across the street, and this is where we meet. Ernie, yeah, who, friend of Bert's, a friend of Bert's, uh, who apparently is was supposed to be Ernst Kaltenbrunner, which was an escaped Nazi that escaped to Argentina. Yes. And I know this because I worked on the TV series Hunting Hitler for <laughs> two seasons, I guess. Yes. <laughs> so did you guys cover Ernst? We covered Ernst Kaltenbrunner. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's a weird choice. This is one of the handful of things O'Bannon does that I not totally on board with. It, yeah. it, it's it, I mean, it's not even that I'm like offended so much as it just like, feels a little hack. I agree. It, it it's it is a very like comedy thing of 
30 to 40 years ago to just have random Nazi stuff, like German Nazis, not neo-Nazis. Um, of course, uh, I said, of course, Mel Gibson pioneered that, but I I meant to say Mel Brooks. Also Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson came later. He was kind of pioneered that. He's he's a third wave. Uh, (laughs) he even has like a German gun, Ernie. Uh, he has a Walther. Is it Walther? He has a Walther and there's like a kind of half hidden picture of Ava Braun on the wall. (laughs) Jesus Christ. In the cremation room. So Bert comes in with a bunch of squirming bags. He yeah. tells Ernie they're rabid weasels. <laughs> Which is, I think is yeah. Like, yeah. Ernie, Ernie, uh, what is Ernie's line? He's uh, Bert says to, you know how it is, right? Yeah. You know yeah, how yeah. these things happen. Is it we had a bunch of, we had a shipment of weasels. Turns out they're all rabid. You know how that is. No, I don't know how that is. <laughs> Which if they were going to make Ernie a Nazi, they make him way too likable. Like yeah. he's a good dude. He's a he's one of my favorite characters right. in the movie. Although his his proposal as a po- like so Bert and Freddie and Frank want to use his crematorium to dispose of these uh, supposed raz- rabid weasels. Yeah, and and one of the one of the big nods to to Ernie's uh, Nazi background is his his counter proposal is to just take them out into the parking lot and shoot shoot all of them. them. Yeah. <laughs> Which he would enjoy. Yeah. Uh, so they rip a bag open finally to like show Ernie what the deal is. This arm comes out, grabs Ernie by the pant leg, rips it off. He falls over. So finally, the jig is up. It's zo- animated zombie parts. We got to get rid of them. They fire up the incinerator, torch the pieces until there's nothing left. And then the smoke coming out of the chimney goes into the sky it's green it's, again. It's creepy. It's ominous smoke. Yep. This music kicks in. That smoke goes into the clouds. And there's a fucking thunderstorm. The rain starts pouring onto the graveyard. Yeah. This is great. I love this sequence. Yeah. So Freddie and Frank, they're sick from breathing the gas. Frank straight on scream pukes, which <laughs> we've all been there, brother. <laughs> So they I call have some... not been there. Oh, really? I, I had food poisoning from a salad once. <laughs> That's and I was scream puking in my ba- in my bathroom. It was the worst night of my life. Well, my father's death, maybe, but you know. Second. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so they call some paramedics. Uh, the zombies start popping out of the ground. Um, I never enjoyed zombies coming out of the ground because it just seems very. You know, hard to do. Even a a full on alive person, full of strength, mm-hmm. couldn't get out of the ground. Yeah, I mean, there are a handful of logical fallacies in this yeah, movie and in zombie films in general. But yeah, I think I mean, six feet of dirt is I don't I, you can't climb out of that. No. So Tina has left her group of friends to find Freddy at the warehouse. Sees his hat in front of the door and uh, goes into the basement, and then. Suddenly, she's looking around there. From behind her steps out Tar Man. Yes. So the container that they opened, the body did not dissolve. It did not evaporate. And he looks so good. Tar Man looks fucking amazing in this movie. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just want to give a quick shout out. So this guy was designed. He wasn't designed. I should say he was uh, executed by the original special effects guy, Bill Munns. 
who uh, who did end up getting fired from the production midway through and were replaced by a guy named Kenny Meyer. Um, and Munns, it seems like, had uh, issues uh, working with Dan O'Bannon. He's not, certainly not the only one. There's like a lot of people seem to suggest in, in the more polite ways that O'Bannon was a, he was a mercurial guy. He was not always easy to get along with, but he certainly had a vision. And for the most part, everybody loved him. But it's kind of like there was a little bit of love-hate. Mm-hmm. And I think Munns was a guy who didn't ever really get on board. Um, yeah. I mean, I can see having worked in movies – you know, not worked. Having made movies, there are some people who are consummate professionals right. who expect a certain level of – professionalism from the rest of the crew mm-hmm. and if you're on a more running gun yeah. kind of shoot which they, is what this was yeah exactly there's uh this has also happened with like david lynch i, I read mm-hmm. his autobiography uh, it, it's not uncommon uh but he did a great job the the bit yeah. the bit that he did is really good yeah and this and tar man this this gross drippy zombie is his biggest con- contribution probably to the movie yeah. uh and the guys that took over kenny meyer and his team did an amazing job with a lot of other stuff but like I- even in the book like they all give credit where credit is due that like tar man was pretty like was 75 percent done when they took it over and it, this is and this is i love the look of this thing so much yeah he screams brains which is the in i maybe i'm wrong but i think maybe the first time zombies have screamed for brains which has gone over into uh you know pop culture yeah it, it's this kinda, is, it's canon now yeah uh for the most part which and that's not a romero thing and they just no. they just eat human flesh in the night of the living dead movies but this is when people do the zombie imitation, they go brains. You know, that's where this came from. Mm-hmm. So uh, she ends up hiding in the closet. Tarman uses a winch and a chain to try to get her out of the closet. Uh, her, yeah. her friends. Also, come- Tarman is smart. Uh, let's not yeah. gloss over that. that no, like- listen. Hashtag Tarman is smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It literally sets up a fucking chain to the closet that Tina is hiding in. And All the zombies range. in this movie are smart. Yeah, like that's but again, smart. that's that's another kind of uh, diversion or divergence from uh, like t- typical zombie lore. Yeah. Uh, so her friends come in, hear her s- screaming. Uh, Tarman grabs Suicide and bites him in the fucking head. His head just pops yeah. like open. top of the head, right? Top like of the head, skull. Like, yeah. like you're biting an apple. Yeah, it's really impressive. So we got our first body count of the movie. Uh, an ambulance arrives at the mortuary. They take the vital signs um, of Frank and Freddie. Who are starting to look pretty shitty at this point. Yeah, they're like blue. Their tongues yeah, are orange. Sweating. Yeah. <laughs> I never understood the orange tongue part. Maybe that's something that happens when people die. I, mean, I should look it yeah, up. Yeah, uh, we should we should check in with people who have slowly turned into zombies. <laughs> So they can't hear anything through the stethoscope. No blood pressure, no pulse. These guys are fucking dead. Yeah, but they're obviously not no, dead. No, they're moving around. The punks run back to the cemetery. It's all flooded. Skeletons yeah. pop out and, of the ground. And, and they're like, there's some screaming about the rain, right? Like the sting. It's like an acid rain that's coming yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the rain is stinging their bodies. 
a skeleton pops out of the ground. We got this great music cue. We got a party. It's party time. Yeah, so this is the beginning of I for me, this is when the soundtrack of this movie kicks into overdrive. Um and like we talked about, it has like a sort of punk ethos, but it's also like the soundtrack is very legit. Like we got a little cramps playing in the car earlier, but this is the song that sort of like this is the first time we have non-diegetic like soundtrack music. This song rules. It's called Party Time Zombie Version by 45 Grave. Some <laughs> LA punk band I've never heard of before. No, neither but have I. They uh I mean, they're still around. Really? Um, yeah. Uh they 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 broke for a while in the late 80s after this movie came out, but like the lead singer put them back together and they they I think they still gig around LA. Um, oh shit! We should see him if we ever get to see live shows again. Yeah, there's a there's a great anecdote in the book uh, where the 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 music guys are kind of just dicking around in a scene that comes later on in the movie where they just uh, weren't exactly sure the essentially what happened was the score that they had put together for the movie was super short. It was good. They liked it, but. It was if they were going to use the score they were given to score the entire film, they would have had to go through what they had three, maybe four times to cover the runtime of the movie. So one of the solutions that they came up with was what happens if we just take a soundtrack song and just play it over a scene? Mm-hmm. And uh, and they brought it to Dan O'Bannon and Dan O'Bannon said, yeah, I like it. It's like, it's good energy. And so there's a bunch of scenes in this movie where you just have full volume punk shit playing while stuff is going on. And I think it really works. And this is the first time, this is the first time you really get to see it. This whole movie has sort of like an Alex Cox, like, um, uh, repo man vibe to Mm -hmm. it, which also takes place in like a similar part of LA. Yeah. I just, I love it. it. I'm in love with that aesthetic. Uh, the skeleton, though, not in love with. Looks real bad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's no tar man. No, it's not tar man. Uh, so then, trash is overwhelmed by old men, just like her nightmare. Uh, old men zombies. I also read in that um, um, Fangoria article that I read about this mm-hmm. that they based the zombies off of the uh, bog people that were found in like Scotland and oh, the yeah. mum- mummies that were created, that were made in uh, parts of Mexico. Yeah. Which yeah. Is- Some of the original concept designs came from like real corpses and stuff, which is very cool. It's cool. So then uh, trash brings our body count up to two. She's gone too soon. Gone too soon. Ugh, candle in the wind. <laughs> So the, the punks run to the funeral home. Chuck and Casey go to the warehouse. They split up. They want to go find a phone. The paramedics in the mortuary hear some screaming, so they go outside. They get fucking ambushed by a <laughs> horde of zombies. Yeah, there's, they're moving fast, and there's a shit ton of them now. And that's another thing. You know, I just one more shout out to this series. People like to talk about 28 Days Later and Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead is kind of like mm-hmm. really introducing this idea of like fast moving zombies, but all you got to do is watch this movie and like these these zombies run, you know. Can I tell you a, a shocking secret? Yeah, lay it on me. I love I like Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. It's not a bad movie. It's not a bad movie. Dawn of the Dead's my favorite 
probably my one or two favorite movies of all right. time. I like the, I like the remake. Well, that's I mean I feel. I think it's a fine movie. I think it is definitely the best thing that Zack Snyder has made. 110%. Yeah. Uh, not a huge fan. No. Nope. Um, but I think to your point, or may I don't know if this is your point, but like dovetailing with what you said, like if, you, if there's a movie that I love, then I don't mind uh, watching a remake of it as long as it's, you know kind of like like even if it's, it's going to be a lesser thing like the thing that immediately sprung to mind for me is red dragon mm, um, yeah okay, which is like yeah. manhunter is just such a good movie it's so good that even though red dragon is much worse it's like yeah. the source material is so fucking good that i'm still happy to watch red red dragon just because i'm like i like this story yeah yeah, yeah. i'm 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 there for that uh and we'll cover well, I'm sure we'll cover that in a future episode. Oh, Christ. Uh, Dawn of the Dead, I mean, not Red Dragon. I mean, I don't know. We could do Hannibal Lecter movies. Oh, Jesus uh, Christ. That's a fucking slog. Well, yeah. well, you know what? There's two great movies in there. Yeah, there is. And then there's three. One mediocre one and one bad one and one terrible. What was the terrible one? The Hannibal Rising. Oh, oh my God. I forgot that existed. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So the... <laughs> The paramedics, they're killed. Body count up to four. Uh, Freddy is reunited with his girlfriend, Tina. Ernie is chased from the ambulance by a zombie with no legs. He looks great. He must be a real amputee. Yes. A little more background on this. that This is a guy who uh, was a uh, Hollywood Boulevard street performer. So, yeah, he is uh, paraplegic. Not paraplegic, but he, yeah, a, a double amputee. Both his legs gone. Um, and... They used him to great effect, and in fact, he ends up eating in this scene when he's eating brains. He's actually eating real calf brains, uh, which is understandably something that the actor was not super comfortable about doing. Uh, And so at this point, they're shooting, and they're trying to get this guy to eat the brains. Dan O'Bannon jumps out from behind the camera and actually eats a big handful of them just to sort of... Uh, communicate that he wouldn't ask his actors to do anything that he wouldn't do himself. Still, still a little sketchy. Were they raw? I wonder. That's I dangerous. I don't know. I really hope not. Yeah. Because I know in like Dawn of the Dead or in, in Night of the Living Dead for sure, and also mm-hmm. I think maybe in Dawn of the Dead, they had uh, the extras like fucking around with real organs. And yeah. in Dawn of the Dead, uh, sorry, in Day of the Dead's case, which is what I meant to say instead of Dawn mm-hmm. of the Dead, uh, they had gone bad. So they're like pulling apart mm. intestines that had gone bad. Um, oh God, disgusting. Jesus. Just you can, you can still cook them. I don't know. I don't think they have to be raw <laughs> is what, is what I'm saying as somebody with OCD and a huge fear of germs. Yeah. I'm offended. Yeah. <laughs> so there's some fun in games where they're boarding up the windows in the chap in the chapel yeah, and they run the, around. This is yeah, they're at they're at Ernie's place. Yeah. Um and there's so many windows in this place and it's so many windows. It's it's it, it starts to get pretty funny after a bit to me at least that they're just going from room to room boarding up window after window after window. <laughs> uh back outside there's a zombie in the ambulance who picks up the uh the radio to send more paramedics. I yeah. love that. That's great. Famous uh, line. Frank and Freddie are whining. They're cramping up. Their body hurts. They're mm-hmm. getting into 
a little bit almost too annoying. Yeah, this is the part of the movie where I'm like, can these two just kick the bucket already? Right. Uh, a new a new ambulance arrives. They're swarmed by zombies. Body count goes up to six by my count. <laughs> I could have missed something here. I don't know. Uh, there's zombies beating out the windows. Uh, this weird old lady skeleton grabs Scuzz by the head, like yeah. bites him in the head. Another apple bite head, blood everywhere. Blood this is everywhere. Great. It looks so fucking great. I love yeah. the way the blood sprays. And the blood looks great, too. It's not like that the um dawn of the dead like too red it looks mm-hmm. realistic yeah um body count goes up to seven she has old weird tits they're all rotted <laughs> sorry it's true you're not wrong okay well you know i mean mike seemed uncomfortable when i brought up the zombies old weird tits that uh. they modeled pretty realistically i guess uh they interview it and this yeah. is one of my favorite scenes in the movie mm-hmm. because she says they want brains because it takes away the pain of being dead. Yeah. It hurts to be dead and she can feel herself rot. Right. Which is this is like something that could be handled in a way that's like weird. It doesn't work. It's, you know, they're interviewing a zombie. They're yeah. basically asking it questions like it's a like it's a hostage. Yeah. And um, it has this weird voice that's cheesy but it works yeah for some reason there's a lot of stuff in this movie that's like if you handle it even a little bit differently i think it doesn't hit the mark but they really just kind of manage to to keep it together and and this ends up being really dark it's honestly like it's yeah. a we've talked about it a little bit already this is a goofy movie it's a slapsticky movie but it's also super nihilistic super dark it's like when i saw it as a kid i mean i wasn't a kid like you i think i was probably 12 13 14 the first time i saw this and it like left uh it left me feeling yeah uh, uneasy just the yeah. idea that you you can feel everything that happens to you as when you're dead and it hurts that's terrifying really yeah. legitimately scary um so then trash emerges from the mud she's a zombie now she looks awesome still like, naked still naked uh, she kills a homeless man who's just wheeling his car by. Body count is up to eight. Uh, the cops arrive at the funeral home. They're swarmed by zombies. <laughs> Body count up to ten. Yeah, and, and another thing that I love about how they handle this with the zomb- uh, with the cops and the zombies is there there isn't even like a there's not a fight there isn't like a back and no, forth no, no. like the cops are holding off the zombies and it's just like no they just get overrun and immediately <laughs> eaten a zombie picks up the radio send more cops <laughs> <laughs> so uh, back in the mortuary the chapel um, Ernie says we can go up into the crawl space uh, Frank and Freddie are starting to turn up, yeah like, pretty obvious they, they've separated them from the rest of the group because I think everybody knows what's coming yeah. yeah, they're they're screaming, and then uh, F- Freddy, he like turns. I can finally see. I want live brains, and he starts chasing Tina around. Yeah, a uh, spider hits him in the head with a sledgehammer. Ernie throws acid in his face. Uh, spider, who I think 
is probably one of the most rational people in the movie. Yeah. Whenever somebody brings up like, oh, we should do this. He's like, why the fuck would we do that? <laughs> yeah, we haven't we haven't talked about Spider much yet. And I think part of that is because he he keeps making reasonable decisions. Yeah. And yeah. and is useful. Yeah. Uh, in 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 these uh, in these sort of uh, intense situations, but yeah, he's definitely like MV. I think he's MVP probably mm-hmm. uh, of this group at least of, of of the punks. He's definitely the one that pulls his weight the best. <laughs> all right, so at, now at this point, Bert and Spider and Ernie and Tina all hatch a plan. Bert and Spider are going to run outside. There's a there's an abandoned cop car they think they can get to. Yeah, this scene is very reminiscent of Night of the Living Dead when Ben and Tom go to run for the uh, the the truck. Uh, so they finally get to the police car. They're going to get help. Well, at least they say they're going to get help. They bust through the cemetery gates. <laughs> Bert's was basically like, "No, fuck them. We'll send help. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're out of here." Yeah, but Bale's on Ernie and Tina. They're like, "Where the fuck are they going?" <laughs> almost immediately loses control of the car and just smashes into the warehouse. Yeah. The car's on fire. They made it it's, like 150 feet. Yeah. It just goes through a brick wall. It's completely totaled. Yeah. They get out. Like, no, it's okay. Well, we still have my car and Frank's cars there, but no, everything explodes. There's no more cars. <laughs> Back in the mortuary, uh, Ernie and Tina go into the crawl space to hide from Freddy. He's right behind them. He's totally brain hungry. Yeah, he's uh, trying to coerce Tina into letting him eat her brains. Yeah, it's creepy. Uh, and then we cut to Frank. He's in the incinerator room. He uh, he knows what's coming, so he takes his wedding ring off. He prays, crawls onto the tray, and just fucking roasts himself. It's, yeah, it's really depressing. <laughs> Yeah, I guess technically that counts as a body, right? Yeah, I think he died. So. Yeah, body count up to twelve. Uh, so cops are, uh, arrive outside. Body count up to eleven. Sorry, the cops arrive uh, outside. A zombie cop directs them in. They're ambushed by zombies. Body <laughs> counts up to thirteen. In the mortuary, Freddy's being a total creep. He tells tina that he can smell her brains Ugh. if she loved him she'd let him eat her brains yeah there's like this this gets gross and kind of shades of like abusive uh, yeah. behavior here he's pounding on the attic door ernie considers just putting her out of her misery yeah she's really not even aware prematurely yeah <laughs> yeah she's she's not aware he pulls a gun on her and puts it in the back of her head like fucking george at the end of a mice and men <laughs> She's she has no idea this is happening. Yeah. He's just sort of <laughs> considering shooting should, this girl in the head. I should probably kill this girl, right? Yeah. <laughs> I've always wanted to kill a girl. Yeah. Um outside, the police have the perimeter locked down. They don't know what the fuck's going on though. Uh, a wave of zombies comes rushing at them. They shoot at them, but it's no good. They're all toast. Totally overrun. Totally overrun. Body count up to who fucking knows. I would have to go back and count the individual police officers. Yeah. Lots of bodies. Lots of bodies. Uh, in the warehouse, Chuck and Casey go into the basement to get to the phone. They knock Tarman's head off with a baseball bat. And then they get to the barrel. They call the number on the side of the barrel. Cut to the colonel from the beginning of the movie. Finally, we see him again. He's woken up. 
he gets the lowdown. He goes to his study, uses his communication setup, and he says, We found the lost consignment of Easter eggs turned up in Louisville, Kentucky. The first time we get the location of the yeah, movie. Yeah, this is literally how we find out this whole movie takes place apparently in Kentucky and not clearly in Los Angeles. Yeah, downtown Los Angeles in the background. The eggs have hatched back at the warehouse. Uh, back at the warehouse, Chuck he gets off the phone. He says, oh, they've been waiting for this to happen. They have a contingency plan. Yeah. This is great. What do you think got, it is? Yeah, we've got all of our surviving principles together now. Uh, everybody who's left, we've got Bert, we've got Spider, we've got Chuck and Casey. Seems like they're going to make their way maybe out of this. Who knows? Yep. Nope. We cut to a nuclear silo. Yeah. <laughs> the guy gets a phone call. <laughs> this, is, this is a great moment. Yeah. So the, the guy running the uh, nuclear missile silo gets a call from the colonel. They do their confirmation code. Uh, and they calls out the letters AHR, right? And mm-hmm. But instead of doing the radio alphabet, like Alpha Hotel, which is a like very uh, official, agreed upon thing, uh, instead of Alpha Hotel, we get Archimedes Hot Dog Rhubarb <laughs> as the confirmation. We get some weird miniature special effects animations of the missile being loaded and launched. And then back to the chapel, there's a whistling sound. Wait a second. You hear anything? Freddy busts in through the attic, freeze frame, the nuke goes off, destroys 20 square blocks. The uh, colonel's being informed. He says, uh, I wouldn't worry about it. 4,000, 3,000 3, to 4,000 lives lost. But I wouldn't worry about the fires. The rain will take care of that. And then the rain, the smoke comes into the clouds, and it all happens all over again. Yeah, we even repeat shots from the from the movie. <laughs> yeah, unnecessarily, I'd say. Yeah, literally all of the <clears throat> same shots from uh, the first time we have the smoke and the rain. But hey, yeah. uh, this shit scared me when I was the first time I saw it. Um, Fuck yeah, man! Everybody dies. Yeah, literally every single principal in the entire film. No one gets out alive. There's no final girl, um, and. You know, something I wanted to kind of just touch on real quick is it's it's this ending in particular, but the way this whole movie goes, there's something to me that's so scary about uh, the fact that this is a threat that you can't eliminate, you can't escape from. Even more so than like Evil Dead, which I think also has pretty indestructible undead characters Mm -hmm. this feels just so much more hopeless because the scale of everything is so much bigger yeah and i think it functions like it it feels uh you know with something like evil dead that element of the supernatural like you always feel overpowered right because you don't understand it you don't know what to do but with this it's like logical steps right um you just follow the trail of that yellow cadaver and it's like okay you destroy its brain it's not dead. Cut its head off. Not dead. Chop it into pieces. Still not alive. Dead. The only way you can kill it is to incinerate it. But what does incinerating it do? It just creates a hundred more zombies. Yeah. You know. It's you kill one, you just damn four thousand more people to the same fate. Yeah. Great. I love this fucking movie. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. Um. Let's get into our official wrap up. Yeah. Right? 
You want to you want to hit some categories here? Sure. So here on Killstreak, we like to go through a few different categories when we're wrapping it up. The body count, as I said before, it was like thirteen, and then who knows? Lots yeah, it, of- it gets it gets a little sticky at the end because you know we got three thousand to four thousand people die in a nuclear blast. So yeah, we don't see it on camera though. So I don't know. I don't know yeah. if we should count it. I think as far as on camera deaths go, what are we? We're looking at like twelve or thirteen, right? Yeah, so, thirteen. In that zone, thirteen. Yep. Okay, pretty good, I think. Um, yeah, I, all told, in the in in this genre, that's a, that's a pretty solid amount of on screen kills. So, Mike, who is your favorite character from the movie? All right. Well, I don't know if I sort of gave this away uh, during the synopsis, but I am and will always be a trash man. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you will. Yeah, I I think not. I mean, the nudity is great. It is uh, a Hall of Fame nude scene. But it's not just that. It's also the insane monologue that she gives right before she starts stripping. It is all of her weird character notes. Uh, She is the most recognizable and ghoulish zombie uh, once she's sort of reborn. And she's she's almost sort of like leading the charge uh, against the cops and stuff. And it's just like she's she's great. I love her. Uh, Trash all the way. How about you? Uh, you know, this may surprise you, but mm-hmm. I think Suicide, Suicide is my favorite character. I love Suicide. Uh, yeah, man. He's misunderstood. Nobody likes him. Yeah. He just doesn't understand why nobody likes him. Why, wait, what, is, what do they say? He's like, how come he's, you guys? He's like, how come you guys only use me for a ride? He's like, because you're fucking creepy, man. The spider <laughs> says that. And then he attacks spider. And then later on, he's like, I don't understand why people don't get me. This isn't a, this isn't a fad. This is a lifestyle. Yeah. Suicide all the way. He's a sensitive bad boy. Gets yeah. taken out in his prime. He's great. Yeah. Suicide's a real punk, you know. Freddie, Freddie's a little too pretty to be a punk, if you ask sure. me. But yeah, su- suicide feels authentic. Uh, another thing we like to talk about on this podcast: which moment has aged the worst for you? Uh, these movies are made twenty, thirty years ago. Sometimes, some more. Yeah. Um, so there's invariably going to be something that just doesn't really hit our modern ears well. Sure. Yeah, I think for me, this movie's pretty good in the in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of the cringy moments, there's uh, intention behind them or sort of knowing. Uh, they don't feel too exploitative. I will say, that for me, the thing that maybe landed the worst, we talked about this a little bit earlier, is the Ernie as a secret Nazi stuff. I think yeah. it just... It's not as funny as I think they want it to be, and it feels a little bit cheap. And uh, I'm not like King PC or anything, but it's like, I'm. If you want to make a joke about Nazis, go for it. But like, have some craft, you know. Have some make it make it meaningful in some way, or just like you gotta try a little harder than this. Sure, yeah. I think for me, it's probably uh, the character of Chuck. Um, he's a little bit underdeveloped and his biggest character trait is that he's horny and wants (laughs) to fuck Casey. Yeah. Casey, by the way, we didn't touch on this earlier. Quick, funny story about her. She'd done some acting, a lot of, uh, similar to Linnea Quigley, like a lot of nude scenes and stuff. 
the way she ended up in the movie, Dan O'Bannon knew her from her day job, or probably more likely night job, uh, <laughs> of stripping. Uh, and he was a he frequented the strip club that she worked at. And, oh yeah. Uh, originally, when she got cast, uh, they offered her the part of trash, and she basically just asked, "Hey, is there any way I can not get naked for this movie? Because I am just tired of uh, being." just the nude scene lady and uh yeah uh dan o'bannon obliged and i think it worked out because she plays her character great and uh, that gave us trash and her striptease yeah the next thing we like to talk about here on kill streak is the carpenter scale mike what is the carpenter scale all right well this is a perhaps overcooked idea that uh that we <laughs> That we put together. So we're going to see how it goes. And maybe it sucks. And uh, you listen to, uh, you know, season three and they're like, hey, whatever happened to that shit. But uh, (laughs) the Carpenter scale, we were talking about these are horror movies, right? And ostensibly they're supposed to be scary. Um, Now, this is kind of a horror comedy. So uh, you would maybe expect it to be not quite as scary as some. Uh, and originally we had just said, hey, what if we do a scale one through ten? How scary is this movie? But that's lame and boring and lacks boring. creativity. Yeah, absolutely. So Eric and I, um, I don't know. For me, John Carpenter is not only one of my favorite horror directors, but just one of my favorite directors full stop um, sure. ever. Probably top top five for me. Um, and he also has done a lot of stuff that kind of runs the gamut in terms of uh, levels of frights, if, if you want to put it that way. Uh, and so <laughs> Eric and I have decided, instead of just giving you a boring down the middle one through ten, we're going to rate the scariness level of this film on the Carpenter scale. So uh, I'm going to go first. Uh, so as mm-hmm. an example, so for me... I think this movie is sporadically scary in the sort of traditional jump scare sense. Uh, There's some gruesome deaths that definitely uh, will freak you out. But more than anything, I think that the fear uh, and the sort of uh, uneasiness that you come away from is is of the existential nature, right? It's it's kind of dark and depressing. Right. uh, and so for that reason, I have decided to rank Return of the Living Dead as an assault on Precinct 13 on the Carpenter scale of oh, frights. Man, that is a good good call. Uh, so just to recap a little bit, maybe the scale goes from uh, Starman <laughs> or I argue the Elvis movie. So that's uh, like a that's like a zero. Yeah, right. to yeah. to um, the sexy thing. alien Jeff Bridges, not that scary. Not that scary. There is that part where he grows really fast. You can hear his bones cracking. That freaked <laughs> me out as a kid. It really stuck with me. So that, okay. I mean, that might be like a maybe one. a Starman's like a one. Yeah, like Starman's a, like a one. Elvis is a zero. Uh, the thing is okay. probably the scariest. Yeah, absolutely. That's a ten. Okay, uh, I have to agree with you. Assault on Precinct 13. Assault on Precinct 13. For yep. those of you who have never seen any John Carpenter movies, let's call it a six. Sure. Yeah. The last thing we like to talk about here on Killstreak, should you watch this movie? If you don't have time for the entire series, uh, should you check this one out? And for me, Return of the Living Dead Part 1 
Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, no surprises here. I'm on the same page. This movie's great. Um, for me, if you like horror comedies, especially of the 80s, uh, this one is right up there with with some of the best stuff. Uh, you, you like Reanimator and Evil Dead Two, uh, Return of the Living Dead. Super fun, super well done. Can't recommend it enough. So that's it for our ratings of Return of the Living Dead. Uh, we have one final segment. Uh, we're gonna rotate these a little bit through the episodes, but the first thing we'd like to do on this very first episode of Kill Streak is talk about how would you survive the same circumstances as return of the living dead mike yeah um well also i want to say uh i don't know if this is going to make the final cut of the podcast but i had another overcooked naming idea for this one which was uh you know like the what would jesus do uh, so like if we come up uh-huh. with like a f- if we want to have a fun name and like maybe if our producer Eric Goslin wants to like do like a cool audio sting or something down the road <laughs> um, who knows you know um, but subject to further adjustments but uh, for those of you who are familiar with the screen franchise uh, very self-aware and the main character of that series uh Sidney Prescott, played by Nev Campbell, is sort of outsmarts the villains throughout each and every movie of that series from one through four, because uh, she's she kind of has uh, like, and they comment on like, don't do these dumb things in the movie, like, don't say I'll be right back, like, don't split up, don't do all this shit, right? So like, what's the smart way to survive a movie? So I like to think of this segment as, what would Sidney Prescott do? What would Sidney Prescott do? Well, for me, in this movie, which is a movie really about how inescapable all of this is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I would say I wouldn't have gotten a job <laughs> at a medical supply store. Sure. Which is a privileged thing for me to say. Absolutely. But, you know, if I'm, uh, you know, being honest here, that seems like the only way out of the situation. Yeah. Well, I would say that, like, even later into the film, and maybe, the, I don't know if this is kind of a cop-out answer, but uh, for me, I'm just trying to think realistically, right? Like, that whole idea of, like, if you're trying to escape a killer in your house, you don't run upstairs, right? You go out the front door or the back door. Um, in this case, when shit starts going down and there are, you know, bodies coming back to life, I'm talking before yellow cadaver gets chopped up if i'm bert if i'm frank i'm freddy i just fucking bail man yes get (laughs) out of there yeah it's like listen this shit isn't my problem i know bert's trying to cover his ass with his business that's great if that's what bert wants to do he doesn't want these rabid weasels to, to get out there good for bert but like too many of our horror characters die because they're just afraid to just fucking take off you know, I'm, yeah. I'm saying if I end up in a situation like this, I'm leaving, I'm going home, I'm grabbing my girlfriend and we're hitting the fucking road. <laughs> you know what? We're going to go up to Mammoth for the weekend or something. But well, yeah. which is kind of what you did during this COVID thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're hiding out in the Palm Desert. <laughs> uh, yeah. Listen, um, we have it's it's a privilege that we have. I don't <laughs> take it for granted. Um but yeah, I mean, if anything happens, if there's a pandemic, uh, if there is a zombie apocalypse, if you can't uh, make your rent, 
just take off. Just bail, guys. Uh, that's that's my. Uh, I think that's my general thesis in life, and that's my advice to you. When shit gets weird, take off. Okay, guys, thank you so much for joining us for our first ever episode of Killstreak. The next movie in the series is Return of the Living Dead Part 2, which is available to stream on Stars. If you have any questions or suggestions for us, uh, you can email us at killstreakpod at gmail.com. And I'm sure you've heard this a million times, but I'm going to say it one more time because it really makes a difference if you like the podcast like us on iTunes, leave us a review. It really helps it get there, out there to other people. Uh, so one more time, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. And as always, Archimedes, hot dog, rhubarb.